Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on X, Twitter, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it, at The Lines US. You can follow Mo on Twitter at Monoir, two W's, our NBA betting savant. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. Beat the Closing Number this season, 25 and 12 with spreads and totals. Mo, how did the NFL Week 10 slate treat you? I know we got one more game left. Not well. Got my ass kicked. Sunday night, we went head-to-head. Raiders, Jets, Zach Wilson struggled in the second half. And I think that's kind, even though Chris Collinsworth was treating Zach Wilson to be the second coming of... He didn't call him Brett Favre like he did on that Sunday night game against the Chiefs in Week 4, but saying that Wilson was controlling the Raiders' pass rush... And then he kind of backed off in the second half, but pretty rough performance from Wilson in the final 30 minutes for sure. Yeah, the end games did not treat me too well this week. So what are you going to do? That's how she goes in the NFL. But we did split with our beat the closing number bets. We are 25 and 12, like I mentioned, two and one for my personal card in week 10. And I have one bet for Bills, Broncos, which if you're, Checking this out in the audio form of the podcast, you'll hear it on the back end. And we'll go through four week 11 games that have our interest so far. And for our listeners and viewers that check out thelines.com for our NFL betting content, you can find most survivor guide on the homepage at thelines.com. You could also get our NFL bets in real time in the Discord channel. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. And make sure to give us a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications Whenever we release a new sports betting video on any market, whether it's the NFL, NBA, college basketball, college football, Brett Gibbons and Kelly Ford do a great job in that particular betting market. Mo, I know I didn't shoot this to you before we started, but I am curious on where you're at before we get into some of these games with the NFL MVP race, because I found one particular name interesting, at least where he's positioned on the odds board. And I know Steven... Andres, our boss, brought him up in our Slack chat before we think earlier this morning. Dak Prescott ranks second in dropback EPA, third in passer rating, third in quarterback rating, fourth in completion percentage over expected, fourth in total touchdowns. And you can find him anywhere between 30 and 40 to one best odds available over at thelines.com. If you look at where he's positioned, Mahomes still pretty much the favorite. A little bit above Jalen Hurts. Those two go head-to-head on Monday Night Football. This week, we'll discuss that matchup shortly. Then Lamar Jackson, plus 600. We'll get into the Ravens in a second as they play the Bengals on Thursday night. Tua tied with Lamar for the third shortest odds in this market at 6-1. to Then Josh Allen at 14-1. to Joe Burrow, 20-1. to CJ Stroud at 20-1. to I believe he's at... 30 to 1, or at least that's the highest number you can get on him. Then Brock Purdy, Jared Goff, Christian McCaffrey, and then Dak Prescott. Does Prescott seem a little bit too low for you in this market, or do you think he's fairly priced? Yeah, maybe a little bit too low considering the schedule left. I mean, not a lot of tough defenses remaining on Dallas's schedule. So definitely a chance to pile up some numbers. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens between them and the Eagles. I would say as long as the Eagles stay in front of Dallas, it's probably going to be hard for him to get a lot of traction, though, with Jalen Hurts ahead of him. But 
Um, if they were to catch the Eagles, then I think people would probably be pretty quick to build a case, especially since, I mean, the defense is good, obviously, but like they're not getting anything really out of their running game. So, I, I mean, with the sort of numbers him and CeeDee Lamb have been putting up the last few weeks, he's probably going to end up with as good of a statistical season as anybody. And you mentioned strength of schedule. We brought this up at nauseum over the last few podcasts with the Eagles. Their gauntlet starts this week with the Chiefs. Then they play the Bills following Sunday, San Francisco at home, then Dallas in a rematch, and then at Seattle. And then the schedule lightens up over their final two or three games. I think it's three. Yeah, they got the Giants twice plus the Cardinals. But these next five games are going to play a huge role in deciding the number one overall seed and the division for that matter. I don't think Dallas is necessarily out of it, as you kind of alluded to. But as we get into the four games, Mo, that we're going to hit on here, Bengals-Ravens, then Raiders-Dolphins, Bears-Lions, and, of course, the Chiefs and the Eagles. But if you have not used BetMGM Sportsbook and are interested in any of those games or any other particular matchups, you can use bonus code the lines to get up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets. If your first bet loses, that's promo code the lines one word to get up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money, and as always, terms and conditions apply. And you can get all of our bets if we don't mention them, or at least if we don't have any on this podcast in relation to these games, or we have leans. And we end up placing some before Thursday's edition of Beat the Closing Number. You could find those in the Lines Discord channel. Again, the link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Thursday night football, Bengals-Ravens. The look ahead line for this game was Baltimore by a field goal, laying a field goal at home. It's now up to three and a half. It was as high as four last night. So Ravens plus the hook is what we're seeing across the board. A bunch of injuries on both sides of the ball. Marlon Humphrey appeared to avoid any sort of torn ACL or injury strain to his ACL, but I think it's a hamstring strain or something in the leg. Either way, questionable seemingly for this week. Ronnie Stanley, Morgan Moses, two of the best Ravens offensive linemen, also appear to be questionable for this matchup. Then T. Higgins, Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, their statuses are unknown as well. And if you look at the Ravens, not only blowing a lead against the Browns, a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. But the Ravens have trailed for 28 minutes and 46 seconds through 10 games this season, Mo. And if you look at the four other teams that have held leads of that time span, of that length of time, 84 Dolphins, which were trailing for just 14 minutes and 46 seconds, so just under 15 minutes, the 98 Broncos trailing for just over 27 minutes. The 1990 Giants trailing for just under 44 minutes. And the 2007 high-scoring Patriots offense with Tom Brady, Randy Moss, trailing for just over 51 minutes in their first 10 games. Each of those teams played in the Super Bowl. Of course, the Ravens have lost three games so far. Lost to the Browns in walk-off fashion. One of five walk-off field goals yesterday. The most 
in a single day in NFL history, at least at the end of regulation. Bengals wind up losing outright, closing as around five and a half point home favorites to C.J. Stroud and the Texans. What do you make of this game on the surface? Just a line that makes sense to me, to be honest. Um, on the one hand, you had just like kind of a troubling game from Lamar Jackson, I would say. It, it was kind of the continuation, in my opinion, of a lot of his career. You know, when things are easy, not too many people make it look better than Lamar. But when things are tough and he's under defensive pressure, uh, he makes mistakes and he made several yesterday. And I am still skeptical that the Ravens are going to win any meaningful games this year because of that. I don't really put any stock into the stat you read, to be honest. I think the Ravens have pretty much played a joke schedule for a lot of the season. Um, so we'll see what happens when they start playing some tougher teams. Not a good start, obviously, against the Browns. On the other hand, in this matchup, I don't see the Bengals putting him under a lot of pressure. Uh, they have a mediocre pressure rate in general. Trey Hendrickson is not going to play, I believe. He's one of their he's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL and he's obviously probably their best player overall on defense. So, it's a pretty good spot for the Ravens offense and honestly, it might be a good spot for their defense as well. I know they looked pretty rough at times letting Deshaun march all over the field in the second half, but I don't know what this Bengals passing attack looks like right now because Jamar Chase obviously wasn't himself. Anytime he's getting out-targeted 2-1 to one by Tyler Boyd, it's a problem. And anytime Tyler Boyd is your WR1, it's a problem, as we saw when he dropped what could have been the game-winning touchdown pass, which was basically a layup. Should not ever be dropped in that spot. Uh, I know he had a pretty gaudy stat line, but honestly, he had... I think it was another pretty poor drop as well. So he, he didn't really play that good of a game. He just was kind of the main target by default in that spot. So when Chase isn't himself and we don't know what's going to, what the situation is going to be with T Higgins, I would just monitor that situation. I guess I am saying the short week probably favors Baltimore. So um, with the way, their defense looked, though, and I mean, Joe Burrow was still able to get the ball down the field at times. I would maybe lean towards the over in this game if I played anything, honestly. These offenses are pretty good, and I don't know if we trust these defenses. That was a major regression from the Ravens' defense, and honestly, it's as a lot of people have noted all year, it's not really that good of a defense on paper. When you look at the personnel, I think you know the coaching's done very well to get that sort of performance that they've gotten out of them, but Maybe this is starting to look more like what the Ravens probably should look like. If you just look at the roster, it's really not that impressive on defense. Agree to disagree in some senses. I think they were due for a statistical regression, but no Marlon Humphrey for chunks of the second half or a large chunk. I forget if he got hurt in the first half or the second half, but either I think it was later in the second half. But that's either normal way, at this point. Like It is, and maybe you could bake it in to the Ravens power rating considering the offensive line, but I bet you too, especially Ronnie Stanley have been injury prone, but what he means to that Ravens secondary. And also you brought up the Ravens coaching staff. Harbaugh definitely deserves some flack for blowing yet another lead, but Baltimore secondary against Joe Burrow. 
if you go back to week two, and I know Burrow's calf injury hampered him in that game, but you go back to the wild card game and the two matchups in the regular season, Baltimore's zone coverage has given Burrow a lot of issues in his career, especially with Mike McDonald as the Ravens defensive coordinator, just taking that wild card game as the sample size, because some people might want to toss out the week two matchup Ravens outgained Cincinnati in yards per play, but Burrow obviously much more or much less mobile than he will be in this game. Just looking at last January when these two teams faced one another, Baltimore played zone coverage on 76.9% of Burrow's dropbacks and using over 40% split safety. Burrow with 6.53 yards per attempt is what he totaled in that game. And that was with a healthy Ravens secondary, Humphrey and Marcus Williams. So I would keep an eye on Humphrey's status for this game. I would assume he's out just based off of this game being on a short week, and that'll definitely hamper Baltimore secondary, but Ravens coaching staff has come up with some great game plans to give Burrow fits, especially with their scheme that they run under McDonald. So I'd be a little skeptical of backing the Bengals, considering the injuries you mentioned on offense with not only Higgins, but Chase, and then you factor in Burrow struggles against zone coverage, or at least this particular opponent. Also with the Bengals defensively, I mean, the amount of fumble luck they're getting, yet their defense continues to get a pass because of close game luck, just based off of fumble recoveries. They rank third worst in dropback success rate allowed. This is something we've harped on every week with this Bengals secondary after losing starting safeties going back to last season or the last few years with Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Awuzie still isn't healthy. Coming off of the torn ACL, it seemed like he was a little bit healthier or starting to get and trend back in that direction on Sunday Night Football against the Bills, but took a step back against Noah Brown and a lesser tier Texans receiving core. Maybe a healthier and better quarterback at this point in C.J. Stroud. I don't think that's that big of a stretch just based off of the way Josh Allen has played with that shoulder injury. But either way, as you mentioned, a really good spot here for the Ravens offense against a very, very leaky Bengals secondary. Yeah, I, I think leaning the same way, it sounds like. And obviously, if Humphrey were to be out, that would probably even more favor the over. So, yeah, overall, I just think there should be some points in this game. So, I don't know. 46 seems just a little bit too low. I know primetime unders have been free money, <laughs> but I might try to be contrarian again and hit the over here. Can we talk about that for a second? Primetime unders, 24-7, and seven, cashing in at a 77% hit rate. You look at last night, and <laughs> I mean, that was warranted just because of how poorly Zach Wilson and the Jets moved the ball in the red zone. They were limited by their own mistakes and miscues, a.k.a. penalties, uh, at least two offensive holdings that set them back inside the 20-yard line, or at least when they were driving a couple big chunk plays, whether it was to Garrett Wilson or Zach Wilson on the ground. Brees Hall, I think, got the ball inside the inside the red zone, and then offensive holding drew them back, and they had to settle for one of their four Zerline field goals. But on paper... If the Ravens are banged up in the secondary, 
with Humphrey out, this over looks good. But with the way offenses, maybe you could correlate some of the lack of scoring on Thursday nights to a short week. I mean, that certainly has to be baked in. Offenses maybe not being as in sync or at least health-wise, maybe some injuries that have gone unnoticed or at least unreported, unlike some that are just flat out not discussed, like the Bijan Robinson flu game where prop betters were really upset. But yeah, I'm with you on, again, the over makes sense for sure. I don't know if you're going to, are you going to wait to play this, you think, till later in the week, maybe to see if it dips a little bit? Yeah, I wonder about it because I don't know, with all the money that has probably been coming in on these unders, you wonder if the total is going to drop. But at the same time, it seems like the only injury news could be good for the the over. So it might be better to just bet it now. On to another game we're going to hit on for week 11. This one taking place on Sunday. Raiders at the Dolphins. The line is up from Miami minus nine and a half to all the way up to 11, it looks like, at some shops. And ten and a halfs elsewhere. Miami coming off the bye after losing to Kansas City in Germany in Week Nine, and the Raiders over their last two games, and looking at very small sample size over the last two weeks, the Raiders have allowed the third fewest EPA per play, expected points added per play. But that, of course, coming against Tommy DeVito, who the Cowboys dismantled, and they're now going up against a well-rested Dolphins offense here. So you're looking at Miami, even though this line is over double digits. Yeah, I actually took some minus 10 this morning, same as uh, Steven uh, did. And I think minus 9.5, minus 10, I think these are just ridiculous lines, to be honest, with the Dolphins versus the Raiders uh, at home in a good spot, big rest edge, big travel edge with the Raiders traveling across the country. I don't understand how this opened not at double digits on the look-aheads. And it's up to minus 11 now, I think. So I could, I, I think we could honestly see this one closing close to 14. It, it probably should close close to 14. I mean, you have a Raiders team that just has a really uninspiring offense. They really want to pound the rock, um, handing off over and over to Josh Jacobs, which he has like three and a half yards per carry this year. That's not going to work. Uh, and, you have a Miami team that's just blitzing these bad teams and bad defenses for, you know, 30, 40 points every time. And the Raiders, they're coming off a game where the Jets just outgained them and drove the ball quite a bit, but they just couldn't do anything in the red zone. I mean, Miami is not going to have that sort of issue. You know, they're going to be getting touchdowns. Um, so I, I've seen this sort of game for six years with the Chiefs. You know, it just on paper, it looks like a team might be able to come in and run the ball. Miami doesn't have a good run defense, but just 90% of the time it does not work. They'll just put enough bodies in the box. They'll get a couple random stops in a row and make you be in third and eight. And then when you can't pass the ball, you won't get it. And then on the other side, Miami's just going to score their 30 points. So this line to me should be higher than 10. It's already going that way. At 11, I still think the Dolphins are probably worth a bet. Once we get up to maybe like 13, I would say maybe not at that point. It's probably about where it should be. But yeah, I think the Dolphins really should roll here. Not that it's a concern, but you mentioned pass rush. And I am curious with 
the Dolphins offensive line still banged up. It doesn't seem like Robert Jones, their left guard, is going to be back for this game. Connor Williams, I think, returned for that Chiefs game in Germany and not on the injury report and makes sense coming off the bye, too. And also their right guard, Robert Hunt, also dealing with an injury. Two Roberts on the offensive line. Dolphins secondary is healthy. So if the Raiders can get pressure on Tua, and they also look to keep the explosive plays down by just playing off coverage and keep the ball in front of you, which is the way to go against this Dolphins passing yeah. attack. So I'm not saying it's, I mean, this is not a buy point on the Raiders considering their defensive numbers have been inflated with the two quarterbacks they faced over their last couple of games. And if you look at pressure rate across the NFL, the Raiders are still bottom 10 in pressure rate. So unless Las Vegas blitzes the heck out of Tua and, is able to get home on the quarterback, then probably a slam spot for Miami, especially coming off the bye. But that would be my only concern just with these Dolphins offensive line still a little bit banged up. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Miami is not a team, first of all, that, well, Raiders don't get a lot of pressure and Miami is, even if they did, Miami's pretty good at scheming around it. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. Big coaching mismatch in this spot. You got a guy with basically no experience against... I don't think it's a stretch to say one of the best coaches in the NFL already in his career. So, yeah, pretty hard to see Miami struggling at all in this game. Um, just you have, like I said, a passing offense that is just not good at all. Is going to be trying, I would think, to keep up with Miami scoring 30-plus points, which they basically do every time against these weaker opposition. So, I mean, good luck to the Raiders passing 20 points with Aiden O'Connell or, you know, over and over halfback diving with uh, Josh Jacobs. I don't think that's going to work very well. On to another early afternoon game on Sunday. Bears at Lions. The spread is up to Detroit minus 10 after sitting at 7.5 on the look ahead. So 2.5 point line movement. The Lions, even though they, I mean, their offense was moving the ball up and down and credit to Dan Campbell for going forward on fourth down. I think it was a fourth and two, which set them up for the game winning field goal. But Instead of kicking, what, a long, uh, probably of mid-50s, low-50s, and then giving Justin Herbert a chance to tie the game and or potentially win the game in regulation, if not send the game to overtime, that was certainly the right move, just considering how the Lions secondary was getting diced up. And Detroit ranks number 19 overall this season in drop-back success rate, opponent's drop-back success rate. The Bears likely getting back it appears at least Justin Fields after coming off of that thumb injuries missed the last four games. I kind of on the surface and I need to dig into this matchup as the week goes along a lions defensive front gives me a little bit of pause up against this bears offensive line, especially when you factor in Justin Fields sack rate second worst in the league at 12.9 in a smaller sample size of games. Only six games for fields or five games when you factor in the bye, I believe. And then Tyson Badgett has actually in a in a vacuum of games with non-qualified sack rate just because he's only played in four games, 3.4. So he's actually done a better job of getting the ball quick. Fields pocket awareness isn't good by any stretch. But... Still, this line secondary is very vulnerable, as we discussed, ad nauseum. And the Bears' defensive front 
on the flip side, has also been pretty disruptive after getting Montez Sweat from the Commanders a couple weeks ago. I kind of think this line is a little bit inflated. And if I'm going to bet the game, I'm definitely looking at the Bears here just in a potential letdown spot for Detroit. Getting back a mobile quarterback, if Fields has made any improvement over the last four weeks, watching things from the sidelines, maybe not learning from Tyson Badgett, as Chris Collinsworth has alluded to. But I, yeah, I, I I think this line is a bit inflated, man, just looking at how vulnerable this Lions defense is. I, I will say this. If I don't bet the Bears this week, I'll probably bet the Packers the week after on Thanksgiving. I think Detroit is getting a little too much credit in the market with their defensive performance thus far. Yeah, I don't know, actually. I, I was leaning a little more on the Lions side. I thought the look-ahead line was too short and looks like the market agreed. I think the Lions were minus eight. I didn't really understand that. I figured this line should definitely be double digits. It, this is one of the most intriguing matchups, though, uh, definitely this week. I know people might not think that, but you look at the way the Lions play, they kind of tend to play into what the Bears want to do. Um, you know, their secondary has been really bad, and they can't stop anybody from passing the ball. But, you know, the Lions do tend to pound the rock. I mean, they have a pass rate over expectation that's negative so far. So I, I know people give their staff a lot of credit, and rightfully so, but they do want to tend to run the ball. So, um I think they can probably pass all over Chicago. I just don't know if they will. So it's kind of depends on how the Lions coaching staff approaches this. And you know the Bears want to pound the rock for sure. I mean, their offensive line has been really impressive, actually, I think, this year. that They're blocking very well in the running game for sure. Um, and, you know, their O-line is playing well. And I, I know that that's kind of what Detroit would rather have you do as well. So if both teams are running the ball here, then... This is probably Bears and the under as like a really nice correlated parlay. But also, we don't know if Justin Fields is going to be back. So I don't know. If Tyson Bajan goes, I think the line definitely should move. And I would probably be pretty interested in laying the number with the Lions at that point. Just because Justin Fields gives you so much of a higher ceiling moving the ball. I mean, Bajan has been doing a fine job as far as like limiting turnovers and not making huge mistakes. But... You play offense like the Lions, you need to score some points. So I think you need Justin Fields' ceiling for sure in this spot. So that would be something that I would be monitoring for sure, would be whether or not Justin Fields is ready to go. I think there's a pretty big difference, especially in this matchup between those quarterbacks. So um, probably won't be betting this one, but I do think the Lions have a path to potentially a blowout victory here. But I don't know. If they just come out and run the ball, then... Both teams are probably going to, this is going to be a really slow paced game if that's because both these teams are, are low in pace and combine that with the clock churning. We could see very few possessions in this one. Yeah, it's a good point. If you look at adjusted pace, the Lions ranked 23rd and the Bears ranked 20th. So definitely trends to the under. And if the Bears get Justin Fields back, I'm probably going to be on the Bears here, especially if this gets to 10 and a half. Or at least it's a stay away and, and not laying the points with the Lions. Really only bears are pass for me. And I, I like your correlated luck with the under two. I brought this up with Jets Eagles going back to, I think it was week six or week seven. 
the number of games that have cashed this year with uh, point spread around a touchdown when the under is at least correlated with the metrics that we bring up, like pace and rushing percentage, whatnot, pretty good hit rate. So I would consider, to most point, if you like the Bears, definitely give a look towards the under two. I mean, you're going to get a good price on that. But last game we're going to discuss before a brief look at Monday Night Football between the Broncos and Bills in Week 10 to wrap up the Week 10 slate. Eagles at Chiefs. This line actually up from 2.5 to 3 at some books. Both teams coming off the bye in the Super Bowl rematch where the Chiefs won on that late field goal. Jalen Hurts' knee should be fine, I would presume, after coming off the bye. And if you look at just how this line equates to where both of these teams would sit on a neutral Kansas City pretty much favored by a point on a neutral field, depending on how much you want to give them home field advantage at Arrowhead. So what do you make of this number, Mel? I'm a little surprised, I guess, uh, to be honest, that this number did move up to the key number. Um, I don't know what went into that, especially so early in the week after both teams had a bye week. It seems pretty strange. Uh, Maybe a product of, the performance of the teams these teams have beaten, like, you know, Washington doesn't really look that good. I know they had a close game with Seattle, but their defense basically got wrecked the last couple weeks. Uh, And maybe giving some credit to like the chiefs for having beaten the chargers and the Vikings look good. You know, I don't know what else it really could be, but on paper, this is an interesting matchup in the sense of the Chiefs' defense because, you know, the way to attack this team has been on the ground, especially this season. On paper, it looks like the Chiefs had the pass defense to limit A.J. Brown, which they definitely did not when these teams played in the Super Bowl. But it's not just statistically. I mean, you just look at what the Chiefs have done against some of these top receivers. I mean, they really limited, you know, Justin Jefferson looked, basically like a warm body out there against the chiefs. I mean, Trent McDuffie in his pocket all day and the chiefs really locked in their coverage on him. And, and Tyree kill obviously did not have a big game as well. Not only did he have the big turnover, but really outside of that, you know, he, he didn't really do much. So this, this could have been a big game to have Dallas Goddard in. Uh, I think that probably hurts them. He did some real damage against the chiefs in the super bowl. Um, and, you know, with the Chiefs having some injuries in the linebacker core, that might have helped the Eagles. So that might hurt them in this spot. You just wonder, I guess, what does the Chiefs offense look like? Is this Eagles secondary kind of going to be the cure for a passing game that just hasn't really been up to par of recent years? Uh, the middle of the field has definitely been vulnerable for the Eagles. So maybe we see Travis Kelsey get back on track here. I mean, this does look like a spot where he should be able to eat. I mean, you do have Andy Reid coming off the bye. Obviously, has a legendary record when he has extra time. So, I know both teams are off the bye, but maybe it favors the Chiefs a little more. I still think three is pushing it a little bit. I would be a little bit interested in the Eagles at three. I, I thought the move, the number below three was normal and fair. So, I'm a little bit surprised to see it go up, especially with how this Chiefs offense has looked, which is, I guess you would just say inconsistent. There's been times they look very good. So maybe this Eagle secondary is what they need to get back on track. Any 
correlation to whether Taylor Swift is in attendance in relation to whether you're going to bet this game or not. I don't know if you saw the video surface over the weekend, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift at one of her shows, big smooch. The numbers definitely say that Travis Kelsey is going to play better when Taylor Swift is in attendance. We always had a theory, me and my buddies, that it was the opposite. So <laughs> we thought like Justin Verlander mailed it in after he bagged Kate Upton. So I don't know, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's, Case-by-case basis. Either way, he's definitely performed better with the Swifties watching the game because Taylor Swift is at the game. I think she has a show outside the country on Sunday night, so we'll see if she ends up making it back for this game. If not, may want to give a look to the Eagles, obviously. I'm not serious there. But I do agree with Mo. We brought this up looking back at that Broncos game before the bye, and maybe you could, and that was before the Dolphins game even, maybe you could also relate that to Mahomes dealing with the flu and those two teams between the Broncos and Chiefs playing one another twice in a three-week span. But Chiefs run D without Nick Bolton is also much more susceptible. Now, the Eagles have been a little less efficient on the ground over the course of the season. Even if you look at the numbers just overall, if you look at their rushing success rate, it's dipped a little bit. Now, maybe that has to do with Hertz and that knee injury, and maybe coming off the bye, the Eagles will benefit. I'm sure they will. I make this game right around two and a half, so I don't, I'm probably not going to bet it either way. Whatever match advantage I wind up finding, I think this line is about right, but I don't disagree with you if you want to take the key number with the Eagles. I certainly wouldn't lay it with the Chiefs at that price, but. Quickly here, Mo, before we get out of here, Monday Night Football between the Broncos and Bills. This line, as we're recording this, you can find a Bills minus 7, minus 115. There are also some minus 7.5s, even money, in Buffalo's direction. Total of 47. I bet the Broncos on Sunday night. You can find that play in our Discord channel. Link is over at thelines.com. For me, it's not a simple handicap, but... Definitely advantages in Denver's direction. Josh Allen, like I mentioned earlier, dealing with that shoulder injury. The Bills rank bottom four in both EPA per dropback or EPA per play, actually, in general, and dropback success rates since week five. And that has dipped even more with Allen dealing with that shoulder injury since the Bucks game, I think. And the Broncos defense also coming off the bye and healthier with not only benching Damari Mathis, so just healthier in a figurative sense, getting your worst cornerback and arguably the worst corner in the NFL off the field in favor of Fabian Moreau, but Justin Simmons back over the last three and a half games, along with Baron Browning, which has increased the Broncos pressure rate and Bill's offensive line has been susceptible a bit along with Josh Allen. Again, the shoulder has limited his ability to get the ball downfield when he gets outside the pocket. Bill's defense also very banged up. Not only Tredavious White and Matt Milano out for the season, but Christian Benford, Micah Hyde out for this game and potentially without Terrell Bernard tonight. And the Broncos offensive line, I'm curious how this goes because the Bills have been one of the better run-stopping teams in the NFL and they've been able to get pressure too. But the Broncos rank second in run block win rate and they've been able to establish their slow tempo, arguably the slowest tempo in the NFL. And their success rate has been much higher in the first quarter. So you expect the script to be there with Sean Payton. The key for Denver is can they establish that running game earlier on to dictate the pace in this one? 
and keep Josh Allen on the sideline on top of the fact that he's dealing with that shoulder injury. So I think the Bills are still a little bit inflated in the market despite those defensive injuries. I don't think the market is necessarily taking that into account as much as it should. So I took the seven last night. Granted, not as good of a number, but seven minus 110. Broncos getting the touchdown on the road. Anything for you in this game, Mel? Uh, I have Bills. Uh, Bills teased down to, I think, one and a half. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised when the line hit seven, to be honest. I think the line has to be north of seven. So I'm definitely disagreeing in this spot. I think, you know, Denver last two wins were very, very unimpressive. Uh, just arguably got outplayed by the Packers. That one was basically a coin flip. And that was at home in a good spot for them. And then... You had the home game against the Chiefs where the Chiefs just basically took a dump at midfield and walked off the pitch. I mean, that was just not even anything Denver did. And you can see that even in like their yards per play, their offense didn't do anything in that game besides, I guess, run the ball okay, but it wasn't even that good. Like, you know, their top rusher has 80 yards or whatever. Like, Yeah, but they ran the ball 40 times. That's the key with Denver is can you establish that script yeah but i mean that's just i don't think that's going to work against josh allen here unless you know this is not as flat of a spot like the chiefs were in right there about to go play a big game in europe and basically already have the division on lock i could see why they mailed that one in but this one i mean the bills are basically (laughs) they're in like serious serious danger of missing the playoffs like and they're at home in a big bounce back spot. I think they should beat Denver pretty convincingly. But I mean, at the same time, this is a much, much healthier Denver team for sure. So I wasn't too sure about laying the full number. So I just put it in a teaser with the Patriots. That obviously came home. Uh, so maybe, maybe we both win here. But yeah, I'm really curious to see what, what the Bills look like. I mean, all the metrics are still screaming that this is a Super Bowl contender with one of the best offenses and one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But obviously the high-profile turnovers and just underperformance in several, even games where, honestly, the Bills should have just not even had a quarter of a sweat. You know, 15-point favorites against the Giants. I mean... It just hasn't been good, you know. And they were coming off of the London game, too, going back to the Sunday Night Football game. And teams have underperformed expectations just coming off international games. So whether you want to take that into account or not. But this defense is just so banged up. I'm not disagreeing with you on the spot at all. Great bounce back spot. Kind of made me a little worried about backing the Broncos initially. But then when you think about just how banged up this defense is, with Benford out and there's and Micah Hyde out as well, even if Razul Douglas is a little bit more in tune with the defensive scheme this week as opposed to last week when he was traded from Green Bay midweek. But so I, I'm not disagreeing with you that the Bills bounce back. I just think the line's inflated. If you look at Seattle and Washington yesterday, great spot for the Seahawks to bounce back in. Now, could have gone either way for sure. The Commanders got the worst of the turnover differential. Seahawks outgained them in yards per play. But 
just because the spot is there doesn't mean that a team covers. So I think the line is inflated. I'm with you. Bills probably win the game outright. Bills probably bounce back. But I still think the line is a little bit too big. And that's why I back Denver. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you'd be hard-pressed to say a Bills underperformance or whatever you may call it would surprise you. I mean, it's been... I don't know. They played a good game against Tampa Bay. Like they should have won that game by quite a bit more than they did. But other than that, it's basically been nothing but duds from them since that Jacksonville trip overseas. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just the biggest Josh Allen stand there is because I, the numbers tell me that he's still one of the best. And every time I watch him, he's making great plays for the most part, but then he'll just have two or three absolute stink bombs. But I mean, at the same time, Denver does not have a very good defense. I know that they're healthier and, and playing better, but this is still a middle of the pack unit at best. So the bills have crushed these teams for the most part. So we'll see what, what Denver looks like, but I don't anticipate good things, but at the same time, I can't say I'd be shocked. That's Monoir. You can follow him on Twitter at Monoir, two W's. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Follow the lines as well at the lines US. Twitter, X, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it. Remember to head over to play.thelines.com to enter into our either Monday Night Football contest. If you're listening to this on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find a favorite podcast on Monday or NFL Week 11 contest where they're free and you'll have a chance to win our one of many Amazon gift cards over at play.thelines.com and also Discord channel, thelines.com, top right-hand corner if you want to get our plays in real time. I'll have some college basketball betting guides up on either late Monday, early Tuesday morning for the Champions Classic. Bunch more NFL articles to come for Mo and I this week. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. 